Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild Card Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. Welcome to Industry Focus. I'm Nick Seipel. As earnings season continues to roll on, we've got some more reports to discuss this week. Lou Whiteman joins me to take a look at earnings from Palantir, Virgin Galactic, and Transdime. Lou, thank you for joining me. Always a pleasure to be here. Uh, Great to have you back on the show, Lou. Before we get into the earnings reports, though, we have to talk about this gas pipeline situation in the USA for folks that haven't been following along. Colonial Pipeline, one of the largest pipelines in the United States, accounts for, I believe the number is 45% um, of, of the gasoline that goes to the East Coast of the United States, was hit by a ransomware attack over the weekend by the Russian hacker group Darkside, which, quote, compromised its network. That has led the pipeline to be shut down uh, since Friday. I believe we're, we're, we're starting to get back up and running um, this morning. And the big, the big headline this morning is that Colonial has paid the $5 million ransom to this Darkside hacker group. What are your thoughts, Lou? Well, yeah, you know, and, and after Colonial said they weren't going to, apparently they already had, because if, if the report is to be believed, they did it last week. Um, you know, this is the FBI doesn't want you doing this because this only encourages the bad behavior. Um, maybe one good side about this, though, if you read the report, the decryption tools were so bad and they worked so slow that Colonial ended up doing a backup uh, manual backup anyway and kind of getting its systems back on that way. So maybe this actually will encourage companies. I mean, they still they paid it the five million last week and they still took the hit. So, you know, maybe that will encourage companies to to act differently later. But um, yeah, crazy. Yeah. So, you know, one of the takeaways is pipelines are important. We've talked about on this podcast in the past that there are certain pipelines in the United States. If you turn them off, all of a sudden the lights turn off or, or, or infrastructure stops working properly. And we learned in the past week that this is one of those pipes. Pipelines are a really important part of our, our infrastructure and we, we shouldn't ignore that. Um, the other thing is this ransomware thing isn't going to go away. You just mentioned, Lou, when, when you pay somebody $5 million, when they ask for $5 million, well, you know what? Maybe they're going to come back and ask for more. So I, I think we can expect more of this, which makes cybersecurity that much more relevant. It's always going to be a challenge because the white hat folks had to stay one step ahead of the black hat folks. And all these uh, all these people are, are very competent at what they do. Uh, but this is, this is going to be a battle that's going to continue to play out, I think, for the rest of our lives. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and it trickles down and it's, it's only going to get worse. I always think about these things like what seems dangerous a few years ago seems quaint now. And if you extrapolate that forward, then, you know, like this will seem quaint in a few years and there will be much more scarier things out there, which uh, this is why I never sleep. But uh, I mean, it is it is a, a, a I mean, if you're bullish, the business story is, is yes, there's going to be plenty of demand for cyber and IT indefinitely in the future. We need this stuff. So on the topic of parsing through massive amounts of data and inner, you know, intergovernmental intrigue uh, on the data front, let's talk about Palantir. Folks, folks will know about Palantir's role for a long time, working with U.S. intelligence agencies. They were behind catching Osama bin Laden a number of years ago. Now they're a public company and they just reported earnings. Lou, what uh, do we know about the company today? 
So, yeah, so this is only, I believe, their second earnings report as a public company. They went out late last year, and uh, the headline numbers were all pretty good. They they matched estimates, $0.04 cents per share of earnings. Uh, revenue was a beat by about 3%, and they guided higher, which you always want to see. They guided to, I think, $360 million of revenue in the second quarter, which is 15 or so million above the consensus. Uh, this is a company that is in growth mode. They see revenue growing at, quote, at least 30% a year through 2025, uh, and you know, I mean, they're scoring wins. They do very, very complex stuff. Some of these government contractors just sort of manage email systems. This Palantir is in a different realm. They are data analytics. Uh, they're trying to bring this to the commercial side uh, slowly and surely. Uh, but this is a this is everything you'd want to see if you're a bull in this company because they there's there's growth priced in here, and they're delivering growth. Right, we can talk about you know the amount of growth that's that's priced in. So the stock so far this year, year to date, about fifty percent off its highs. If you look at the price to sales, um, excuse me, the price to sales ratio, you know, got as high as um, high as you know the forties. Um, now it's down about twenty times price to sales. Sales still still very much uh, pricing in continued massive growth. That, like you just mentioned, this continued revenue growth of thirty percent. What do you make of the valuation in the context of the irons they have in the fire and the growth opportunities they see outside of their traditional government business? Sure, sure. If you want the, I guess the cracks in the story, I, I would say is, I mean, for one, thirty percent annual growth by any standard is impressive. But it's worth noting in the last twelve months they have grown at forty-seven percent. Uh, year over year. So that would be a slowing from where they are. And I mean, you know, this valuation that's coming from the defense side, I can't put my head around it. Most of the comparables, and there is no real comparable here, but but are trading at two times sales or less compared to 20 times sales. Uh, on the commercial side, snowflakes, people like that, you will see more on par valuation. So it may be it may be fair to at least say Palantir with its commercial business deserves to be above, say, a Booz Allen Hamilton. Uh, but lost in this story in a way, or, or you can't be lost, is, is that this is still very much a government-dependent business. If you look at the quarter, the government side is larger and it is growing faster. Government is 60% of total revenue today. It grew by 76% year over year, the government side. The commercial side is only growing at 19%. You are not going to transform yourself into a commercial focused company if it's the smaller side is growing much smaller. Um, I believe, and there's a history here, if, if they successfully grow out the commercial, they will be a rare company who uh, many have tried. Uh, commercial is a different animal. It's a different customer. Uh, you've already seen them partnering with IBM and stuff to uh, other, other big names like that to try to sell this on the commercial side. That's good that they're doing that because it will broaden their exposure. But at the same time, that means you're giving IBM some of the margin and it sort of speaks to a weakness. You do not partner with these guys if you are really seeing the traction you hope for on your own. Uh, I think they, I mean, and the other side of it too is this is high end expensive stuff. This is the stuff that a company uses when they need to. It's not necessarily we are going to take over all of the IT budget, you know? Um, I, my fear here is, is that the, I mean, they need to grow into this valuation. I don't know if the market fully appreciates how difficult that is going to be or how much time it's going to take. So it's kind of an odd moment. This is a great company. It's a great product, but even 
believing in the growth story, it's sort of hard for me to wrap my hand, my head around this valuation. Right. So, so just looking at historical comps, comps quite quite heavily valued. Is there a way you can get there? You know, there's this idea that over time, the the way we engage in I don't know where if you want to call it warfare or just intergovernmental conflict, moving more and more towards the digital space and Palantir, you could say top dog and first mover, and, and for as far as the type of work they do there. You know, if we zoom out 10 years, do we see the addressable market just being that much bigger because of the trends we see in this space? Is that the story you have to tell yourself as an investor? I, I mean, you can. I, I think that's dangerous because, yes, Palantir can do things that nobody else can or that few can. Uh, but a couple things with that. The government, uh, the government very much values redundancy. I mean, we see this throughout that the government will intentionally overspend to just keep two vendors in a field. So I don't think there's a world in which Palantir gets... 100% of the dark money or do, you know, between spy agencies and that's just not going to happen. And also for the size of this and for the amount the government spends, I mean, this is a one point, well, a one, a little over $1 billion company right now that's trying to get to 1.5 billion or so in the next five years. You're not going to see the Pentagon boosting this to a three or $4 billion company just on their spending alone. And again, with a market cap of 35 billion, you know, you, they, they, there's, there's expectations. The only way they're going to get there is on the commercial side. And again, they can't. They, they have tools that I believe commercial customers will value. But will they pay up for it in the volumes that investors hope? That's a harder thing to imagine in a three to five year period. So, you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not negative on the company. I, I've actually been watching very closely as the stock has come down. I, 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 I don't know when I would get in, but I, I'm not opposed to owning this company, but I am just very cautious about valuation here. Just knowing the industry, knowing the defense side of the industry and how hard it is to grow when that customer is your primary customer. Absolutely. So, so just you know, summing things up, at 20 times sales, still very much a show me story for Palantir. And what they, what we need, we need them to show us is continued robust growth in the commercial business that that you know is able you know able to justify that valuation or the valuation come down to a price that's more reasonable uh, to to fit the expectations we can comfortably make. Um, so moving on from Palantir, let's talk about another company, Virgin Galactic, that you could say is is a little bit of a show me story today as well. The company has had a rough few months. It's down 70% off its highs. What's going on? Yeah, a rough few months for the stock, but honestly, a rough year and a half now for the company. Virgin Galactic, of course, uh, space tourism. They want to put you and I into space. Uh, you go first, Nick, but uh, that, that's uh, you know whatever you want. The goal was that they would begin service last year by launching Richard Branson into space for his 70th birthday. That was a big milestone. It was much talked about. Obviously, it didn't come to be. Now, COVID had something to do with that. It was harder to do tests, but they've also had a real tough time with their testing. Uh, this is a company, the quarter was as bad or as worse as we know. This is actually a zero revenue company in the quarter. Uh, the analysts had hoped they would have about $300,000 in revenue. Basically, that was if they were going to do tests, there was going to be some small experiments on board that they would get paid for. Uh, the loss of 55 cents per share was worse than expected. But again, I mean, they do have money in the bank. This is a work in progress. The bigger issue is, is that they have had difficulty getting these tests done. Before it was a problem with electromagnetic feedback in the space capsule, uh, they had set a self-imposed goal of this month, May, to resume testing. 
On their earnings call, they said that there is a new issue. There is stress and fatigue with the EVE. This is the plane, instead of just going up like a rocket, the way Virgin Galactic works is there is a massive plane that carries the spacecraft into low orbit where it launches from there, which is a pretty neat way of doing this because it saves on a lot of the expense of that initial push off and, and fighting gravity at its worst you know, at, at the surface. But it's still very unproven because the eve is so important to this uh, they're going to update us next week on when these tests might happen it may be they just need to get this figured out and moved on they are planning a new plane um to replace the eve but um this is just issue after issue after issue we're still hoping to begin service by the end of 2021 but with every delay you have to wonder about that and um yeah the stock has traded down as a result this is still a four billion dollar company with no revenue and a lot of promise i mean this is again a very very cool technology but you got to get there and you said show me right now they're not giving the markets investors a lot of reason to trust their timetable and believe that it will go later this year, early next year, as they hope. Right. I think, you know, when Luis Sanchez and I, I think we first discussed the podcast prior to the IPO, a few months before the IPO. And what I had said at that at that time is, you know, it's a company I'm going to watch, I'm going to pay attention to, but it's not one I'm going to be interested in investing in until I see them take one customer on a safe trip um, up to space and, and back. And it's because this is a really, really difficult thing to do. And if you model out uh, uh, some of the assumptions you have to make for, for Virgin Galactic, it it comes out to putting as many people in space as like, has ever been in space on a regular basis. So to get from nobody doing it to putting enough people in space on a regular basis to, to make the business work is a lot of execution between between now and there. So And you know the company still has a lot left to, to show us. What are you going to be paying attention to? Is there anything else to watch other than waiting for the company to tell us they've figured it out? Well, I, I mean, I think you make a great point because there's almost it's, it's a show me story times too. that. Yes, first, you have to prove you have to do it. But then also this is I mean, this is a very, shall we say, niche market. You know, I mean, $250,000 to spend a few minutes weightless. It both sounds very cool, but it's not going to be it, it's not going to be a, 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 a Coca-Cola business or something like that. So, yeah, I think what we're watching for right now is a will these tests happen and do they go well? B, once they get going, what that market is, what the competitive position is and all of that. And um, yeah, I mean, this, it's, it's possible this will still work out. And I think if, if people, it's, it's a cool thing to believe in. And I, I think if it's a small part of a, it's very binary though. And, um, you know, I mean, it's, po it's also possible that space is hard and, this just won't come together or it'll come together after a lot of other people figured it out. We just, no one can say for sure, not even inside Virgin Galactic headquarters right now, can they say for sure. So the big thing is we need tests. We need tests that go well. And then from there, we'll figure out the business and figure out their prospects. We'll see. I'm fairly confident at some point in the future that there will be people going to space for fun who aren't you know, professionals or hired by the government or what have you, who the companies will be taking those folks and how soon it will happen. I don't have the faintest idea, but when we do, we'll be on the podcast and we'll talk about it. Um, let's move on uh, to the last company we're going to discuss today. That's Transdime. Transdime is, uh, for folks who aren't familiar with the company, one of the largest uh, manufacturers of airplane, airplane component parts. Um, we're impacted by the pandemic air travel uh, cutback last year. What's going on with the company today? 
for people who have listened in before know this is one of my favorite companies to talk about. And, uh, you know, it's a company that has both been a great performer, but has also been a lot of a lot of criticism ad- attached to it. And the great thing about this last year is that I think a lot of the criticism, you know, we had a trial under fire and the company has come out real well. Uh, this is a company, as you say, they make mostly spare parts for commercial airplanes. That is their bread and butter business. Uh, they reported a quarter of uh, the 258 per share on revenue of 1.19 billion. That beat estimates by 3% and 2%. Uh, organic revenue was down 20% year over year. That is the COVID effect. But, you know, I mean, even with commercial organic down 43%, the aftermarket, which is spare parts, down 39%, this is a company that still managed an EBITDA margin of 43.5%. You don't see 40% margins in most manufacturing business, especially most component part businesses. Uh, Transdime, the ticker is TDG, uh, they forever, the criticism, I mean, this is a stock that has... grown by a thousand percent in the last decade or so. I don't have it off the top of my head, but forever the criticism has been these margins aren't sustainable. But what we have seen now is through the worst aviation crisis in global industry history, the margins were sustainable. And in fact, they they held up better than the company thought. They have a lot of variable part of costs. They have parts that are very, very important. Uh, and, you know, it really seems like now the worst is behind us. Uh, aftermarket demand was up 14% on a sequential quarter from fourth quarter 2020. Orders are up 30%. There's some concern that I have that maybe this is just restocking supplies. It's going to be like a, a think about it. Now that airlines are flying again, they want to build back up their supplies. Management says this is sustainable. It's not just stockpiling. It's something we're going to watch, but I take them at their word. This is a company that is proving its need to the system in a very, very difficult operating environment. Everything I loved about Transdime before, I love it more now, I think, coming off of this and just seeing how they've gotten through this last year. Yeah, I think one other thing to mention, folks talk about Transdime is a very levered business model and the fact that they were able to roll through the pandemic without that leverage biting them, I think says something as well. Um, you know, we could say that the Federal Reserve helped out lots of highly levered companies for whatever reason that that risk didn't materialize in the way many folks may have expected. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny because it, it's a great point to make and it's something that they are addressing. I mean, as, as a bull, I'm almost a little disappointed to hear this, but I certainly understand it. Uh, this is a company they don't pay a regular dividend, but they have a habit of uh, they're always in the lookout for acquisitions. They you can think of this as almost a private equity firm disguised as an operating company. I mean, they, they buy good businesses, they leave them alone. They, they clean it up and leave it alone. Uh, they prioritize cash for acquisitions, but they have a history of doing very, very rich $35, $40, a share di- special dividends almost on an annual basis recently. A couple of years, they've done two of those. Uh, we're not going to see that. For now, special dividends, buyback, they're putting that on hold. Uh, they want to, uh, they, they call it recharge their balance sheet. Uh, net debt is currently about eight times EBITDA, which is a little on the high side for them, but they have done some deals. But they think it's going to be a buyer's market in the next 18 to 24 months, and they want it they want to be ready for that. I mean, this is sort of a trusted jockey story because it's such a collection of parts. So I, I respect that. I, I like it when they buy, but I had been thinking with the way cash was piling up that we were going to see a nice, a nice, maybe even, you know, towards a hundred dollar share dividend. 
sometime later in the second half of this year. Apparently, I was wrong to hope for that. That's not happening. So that's a good and a bad, but it does kind of change my thinking, I guess, from coming into the quarter. Yeah, so we'll see what they do with that. Cash, obviously, they were impacted by the pandemic. You could tell a story, too, for an acquisitive company. You know, we got the uh, the capital gains tax going up. Maybe there are some deals that are going to gonna come to market that wouldn't have been there otherwise. Um, maybe last thing on on, on Transdime, you mentioned these these margins, which are, are remarkably high, um, especially when you think about it. It's, this is used parts, and you, you know, companies will try in it, try to make generic uh, parts and things like that. Why do you think Transdime has surprised folks and been able to maintain such high margins for so long? So the analogy I'd use is the analogy of, of what we try and do with stocks. You pick the best companies and then you get the outsized returns. Uh, Transdime is very good at finding that rare spare part. The it's What they're looking for is a business that makes parts that are in desperate need. You can't fly the plane if you don't get this part, but aren't high volume. So there isn't really the business case for someone to commoditize it or cut it in or set up their own factory. They also have a lot of patented parts. So it's that sweet spot of parts that for these airplane platforms that are both necessary, but aren't high volume, you know, they, they're not going to make napkins, to put, you know, or something like that, or, or, or a, a consumable. That is their formula. They haven't always gotten it right, but they are also pretty good. Like uh, they bought a huge business out of the United Kingdom last year. They sold off about half of it because they only wanted some of the parts of there. So so they are very, very picky about what they buy. Uh, Patent protections help. You always see their margins get thrown up against them because they do have a defense business. And so there was a short attack on them a few years ago that basically said, this company that sells to the Pentagon is getting 40% margins. Uh, if you break it down, they do have a lot of defense businesses, but you know most of those are 5 to 10% cost plus things. It's really, they have a proven track record with these airlines that we can get you a part overnight that otherwise you would have to ground this plane and leave your revenue. They have these relationships. They have these parts that you can't easily replicate. And yeah, I mean, maybe the model won't work forever, but we're going on a decade plus now of it working just fine. And I don't see any real reason to think that's going to go away. Yeah, I've heard a description of that where it's almost you shouldn't think of it as a product business as much as a service business. And the service is we have supply of these super niche products available for you at all times. And whereas the product itself, maybe you're not willing to pay a 40% you know, margin on it, you are willing to pay that margin to have the product tomorrow so you don't lose revenue for grounded planes on all those sorts of things. Um, so yeah, it, there are these interesting companies where they're a product company where there's a, there's a service hidden inside of it that you don't really necessarily notice unless you, you understand that the nature of the business and all those sorts of things. Right, right. And if there's one, if there's one bit of caution, I will say some of these parts, you know, the airplanes are becoming much more commoditized, you know, Boeing and Airbus are getting a lot better at these things. A lot of the best parts are on planes that have been around for a long time. And some of those planes are the ones that have gotten retired because of the pandemic. So there was a fear. And I think it, I think that will cost them some of their potential growth, you know, years to come. If, if some of these older airframes have a shorter than expected lifestyle, it's still debatable. A lot of those planes will end up in developing markets. And even if they're not being used in the United States, but um, yeah, I mean, it is, it, it, it's also a very hard business to replicate for that reason, though, too. You aren't seeing a lot of parts on the 737 MAX that have quite the attractive profile as some of the parts on, say, a, a, a you know, 20-year-old 737. 
So, so last thing on on, on Transdime, you mentioned how uh, it's one of your your favorite stocks, still on that list of of, of your your favorite companies. Absolutely, absolutely. I I I just this is one of my. You were talking with Jim Gillies yesterday about you know I think he said what a, a stock that he would just put away and not look at for ten years. I, it's scary to say that with an aerospace stock, but trans. I, the, I I started thinking about what would I say that and Transdime did come to mind. I I just I'm going to own this company indefinitely. That's my plan with it. All right, there you go, folks. Lou has spoken on uh, on Transdime. Um, so before we wrap uh, everything up, I just wanted to talk maybe just just briefly about the market. So we mentioned Palantir down significantly, Virgin Galactic down a lot from the highs. You're seeing the markets in turmoil. Specials on CNBC and all all across. Um, what advice do you have for folks who are managing their portfolio during all of this volatility right now? I mean, you know, it's, it, it, this is, I hate giving this advice because it's, it's hard. Uh, you know, it's almost impossible. But, you know, the first thing is don't manage right now. Try not to believe in yourself that you've picked good companies and try not to look at the daily headlines. And I, I know that's easier said than done. But also the second thing is here, diversity. You know, diversification, this is why it works. I mean, Transdime, they, Okay, so they are down slightly for the week, but they were basically flat. They were up, you know. So of these three, if this was a basket of these three, we would have been down, but we wouldn't have been down so much because we had a aerospace parts manufacturer. I I have a lot of software as a service stocks. I have a lot of different stocks, but I do think uh, you know uh, whether you call it a return of value. Of re- I mean, there are over time market shifts, and this is the value of having at least some exposure to different parts of the market, and just believe in yourself, believe in the process, and try not to get caught up on the on the day to day. It's um it's really hard to do, but it it does work. Yeah, totally agree with that. My advice would be, you know, when we talked about these earnings reports today, we spent think about the ratio of time we spent talking about the stock price and how much time we spent talking about what these companies are actually doing. I think when when you're you're thinking about volatility, thinking about your portfolio, thinking about the companies that I own, pay attention to things happening in the real world, actually going on. With these businesses, those are the things. Those facts are predictive about where the company is going to be in the future, not this week's volatility or even this this year's volatility. Um, so, you know, uh, whether or not the market is up or down this week, if Virgin Galactic can't figure out how to get their customers into space, the stock isn't going to perform well. Um, so, so these are the types of things that, that we should be paying attention to because those are the things that are going to drive returns over the long term. And it is a lot easier to focus on those things if upfront when you pick the stocks. You did research and you understood the reasons that you held it and can check back against that thesis going forward. I think this volatility where it gets really hard and really dangerous is when you don't know what you own, because then you don't know whether you're wrong or whether there's just volatility going on in the market. So big advice too is just always know what you own um, and pay attention to what's going on in the real world. If you do that, I think it's a whole lot easier to hold through all this craziness. Yeah. What he said. Lou, always great having you on the show. Always a pleasure to be here, Nick. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for mixing the show. For Lou Whiteman, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening, and Fool on. Fool on.